Welcome to the inaugural edition of the Loose Threads podcast. Uh, I'm Richie. Uh, I started the blog Loose Threads about a year and a half ago, um, basically because I had started a, a fashion brand and there was really no blueprint about how anything happens um, and you know what the right ways are to do it. Um, no one was actually really writing about the real issues, and I was like, you know what? I really wish I had something when I started, um, and so let me try and you know create this guide that hopefully will help people going forward. Um, and also just was a space for me to kind of process all my thoughts and what I was learning. Um, you know, and luckily, you know, some people started paying attention and, and, and really liked what was happening. Um, and so, you know, that brings us to today where, you know, I thought, you know, I've, I've met a fair amount of really good people along the way. And, um, you know, there are a lot of issues that I think are worth talking about and a lot of people that are, whose stories are worth hearing, um, that, you know, a podcast is the perfect, uh, format to do that. Um, so, you know, the goal of this is really just to have some really good kind of real substantive discussions, um, with people that are just doing really interesting things in and around the fashion world. Um, and hopefully have, have, have discussions about, you know, some of the real issues, the good and the bad, um, and kind of just start to make sense of all that's happening, um, in this time where, where a ton of stuff is changing, but there are also some really great projects and companies that are, you know, coming out of the woodwork. Um, so today, uh, lucky to start with one of my really, really good friends, uh, Charlie Ambler, who runs this company called Strike Gently. Um, it's a pin company, but it started kind of uh, by mistake or not intentionally. Um, and Charlie's been working on it, uh, you know, a lot for, for probably the last half dozen months. Um, and he, he's a really good person to talk to, has a bunch of insights coming from both kind of the art world and, you know, on the periphery of the fashion world. Um and uh, yeah, we, we had a really great discussion and I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Richie. How's it going? Pretty good. It's got um, a good lunch. Yeah. And some froyo. Um, so why don't you tell everyone what you're doing with Strike Gently and kind of how it started? Uh, the company started back in September when I was working at a place called Football Cafe in downtown Manhattan and doing some work sourcing products for a company called Nowhere FC, which owns that cafe. And I was just sort of starting to learn about soft goods and merchandising and how um, good Instagram is basically for promoting small businesses and small clothing brands. And I met a guy named Morgan Watt who runs an Instagram account called Inner Decay, which is a company that sells pins and patches. And he just brought a few of his things in as freebies to me one day. And I was just very intrigued by sort of the fact that they were, there were these simple products, but they were very artful and interesting. And the markup on them was pretty high. And this guy that uh, I came to sort of become friends with and admire from afar uh, was, you know, supporting his family basically by selling pins and patches on a mostly through Instagram and using a big cartel site. And so I sort of just made one to start with. It was a, a little owl for in time for Halloween. Um, that sort of, uh, I guess started the whole string of the vibe being kind of dark and weird. Uh, but I just like stuff like that anyway. So that's what it's been. And then, since then I've made like at least 50 more pins and patches and just tried to expand. So, so is it fair to say that you kind of like stumbled upon this more so than you being like, I really want to start a pin company. Yeah, I totally stumbled upon it. When I was a little kid, I liked collecting pins, but 
I never really thought of it again past middle school until recently. And I didn't know that it was a real tradition or that it was a, even a viable thing to start a business about um, until I started sort of researching this. It's, it's this trend that sort of emerged the past couple of years, but it's also rooted in streetwear and rooted in, there are lots of art pins from the eighties that, you know, designer, interior designers, industrial designers, and various artists would design brooches. No one calls them brooches anymore, but <laughs> it sort of has a more of a feminine connotation. And, and so why, why do you think this is happening? Right. Cause like this didn't, is it safe to say that kind of the mid two thousands were kind of dead for pins or at least in, of the, of the people paying attention to them today, the audience is definitely like probably a little more inclined and interesting than it maybe was in like the early 2000s. And so I'm wondering why you think they're starting to kind of reemerge within, you know, with the crowd that they are reemerging with. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that there was a place for them. Like if you look at Supreme's catalog from that era, there they did a lot of enamel pins and they kind of seem to be responsible for a lot of <laughs> trends that emerge nowadays anyway. So it could have, someone could have seen that and started like, that could have planted the seed. But I think the reason that it's really become a thing the past couple of years is just the emergence of the ability for someone to start a profitable company with very, very, a profitable goods company with very low overhead. It doesn't cost very much to produce enamel pins. It doesn't cost barely anything to maintain a big cartel store. It doesn't cost anything to have an Instagram account. So with like a very organic um, method and small investment, it's a it's a fun way for someone to realize their creative vision with a pretty low risk. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't planning. I ended up investing a lot of my own money into it after I started because I got kind of addicted to the whole process of how it works. But I wasn't really planning on uh, on investing a lot of money into it, and it was appealing for that reason. It was sort of just like an easy way to figure out how to start a company. Yeah, and it sounds like that thing is basically like you can be so incredibly lean today with just what those startup costs are that you know you have the ability to basically start something, see if it works, and if it doesn't, cool, you kill it, and if not, it's like, well, we have something. Yeah, totally. Going here, and I've noticed even since I've started a fair amount of companies that pop up and they'll fizzle away, or then you'll hear from some the the, the person who started them started a new one with a different vibe or a different focus and. It's a pretty disposable, nice way. I mean, it doesn't feel disposable to me now because I feel like I'm starting to establish a sense of a certain vision for it. But in the beginning, when you're so self-conscious about what you're doing and sort of financially insecure about it, it's nice to feel that you haven't, that you're not on a giant ship. Like if the ship is on, you know, if you're in (laughs) rough waters, you'd rather be sort of on a comfortably sized right with so thing. little risk that yeah less you're of more a in a puddle catastrophic than, than a, risk an ocean yeah. um so how, how do you actually like start this right so you had this idea you had the friend that was working on it um what did it actually take or what did you like do to get it going to the point where you had pins to sell uh i mean i was already doing sourcing and so i had sort of found a few pin sources and patch sources from various places and i just the work I was doing, I wasn't getting paid that much for, and I wasn't spending that much time doing it. So I figured, well, I can just, I'll just take these sources that I've already found for these other people and try them myself. Cause those people hadn't tried them yet. Uh, and I just, I did one design cause I had no idea how it was going to work or how it was going to turn out, how communication would be with the supplier. 
uh, and it came in pretty quickly, you know, three weeks. And then I was pleased with it. I gave most of them away to friends, but then I sold enough to recoup my costs and then a little more. And then I decided to make another one. And then after I realized that sort of the more energy I put into it, the more sales and the more attention it got, then I just started making as many as I could think of. Word. And so like you, you mentioned a bit about kind of like the dark ish vision for it, but like where, where did that come from and why do you think it's resonating with people um, as it is? This sort of thing I feel like is rooted in the DIY ethos of sort of metal and punk and from the eighties and nineties. Um, I mean, I guess there's the connotation of pins with like safety pins and really early punk fashion, which I'm not really crazy about early seventies, 80s punk fashion that's kind of become a cliche but I like the kind of demonic and dark vibes of certain imagery that I've just mostly through music come to enjoy through metal and through more I guess extreme types of music and I think it's a good way to make it's a good way to make a simple statement uh, not necessarily to try to offend people but to sort of uh, experiment with stuff that immediately can get a reaction from someone, whether they're turned off by it or whether they find themselves um, in, like really into it, which I kind of just endlessly enjoy that sort of imagery. So yeah, it, it seems like it's this funny thing where like it's so like tiny, like the the pin is, itself is so tiny yet like it either can like really be interesting to people or could like really piss them off. It's like this little thing that incites some sort of like strong reaction regardless of where it falls on the spectrum yeah totally um there's a shirt that the vendors in chinatown sell that just says fuck you you fucking fuck (laughs) and i've seen that one my girlfriend bought that a few months ago and it's just great walking down the street and seeing people's reactions mostly from old people just people who don't know how to not be offended by simple things and it's just funny and i find that fun and so i'm i'm taking that shirt and making a pin with the design actually. And I've seen certain pins. There's a lot of really offensive kind of overtly crassly offensive pins on Instagram that I've seen tons of, uh, and those I find endlessly entertaining. I don't know if I'm trying to get really outright gross with it, but it's certainly fun to experiment with. Yeah. And it it seems like there's also this thing where like, if you don't look closely enough, like a fair amount of people will actually just miss them, which is like probably perfectly fine with the people wearing them. And it's actually for the people that are like interested kind of in looking at the detail and like actually somewhat paying attention to the things that they encounter in life that they're like actually meant to like please or, uh, you know, they're, they're for those sort of people who are kind of looking out for them or detail oriented or aware and not buried in their phones at some point. Yeah, definitely. I, I've always liked the little signifiers. I, I'm not really, I've never been that into fashion fashion, but I've always kind of enjoyed like the little, the little Supreme tag or the little polo horse or kind of those really subtle symbols that say that at certain times have said something. Sometimes they don't say very much at all, but the fun thing with pins is that they, they're so much more varied than the major brands that have, you know, used emblems to their advantage that you can kind of create whatever sort of vibe that you want with them. I personally like it when people don't overdo it. I've, I've seen people with like dozens of pins Just on their jacket. Littered. Sounds like that's cool. I guess that also increases the value of your wardrobe. If you have and the weight $1,200 worth of pins on your leather jacket. It's yeah. Like, uh, yeah. And it makes it a lot heavier too. Right. 
But yeah, it's fun when it's sort of just an understatement and says, check this thing out. Totally. So, so how, how did you end up landing on Instagram kind of as the, the home for this, as opposed to kind of all the other options? Um, and what has that response been like? Uh, I find Instagram just to be the most appealing social media network at this point. I think statistically it's the, by far the most engagement heavy and the best way to get a thing out to people. Um, and for something like products, I feel uh, images are so important in selling something that uh, for this sort of thing, you find it just works really well. And everyone, every other company that I've talked to seems to agree where you have your link to your shop because you only get one link, only one clickable link if you're on Instagram. And so you have your link to your shop as you're in your bio and a simple bio and just sort of participate in the community until you start to get noticed. And then you just... It's very, uh, you could probably algorithmically plot out engagement to sales. It's just sort of like the more you participate without being obnoxious, I think the more people will respect what you're doing and, and start to support what you're doing by buying stuff. Yeah. What's been interesting about following the account is like, it's not, it doesn't hide the fact that you're literally just there to sell pins. Yeah. Um, and I feel like ten, you know, some people tend to have, you know, a can tend to have somewhat of a gut reaction to that to the sense of where like brands also today will try and do this kind of subterfuge of like you know we're doing content that does this and you know we really just care about the experience and like here's a thing that's like not saying we're selling it but subliminally we're absolutely selling you something and it seems like it's the account has kind of thrived in a way where you're like you're like yeah we're, we're selling stuff and it's fine and like everyone knows and like there's you're not hiding anything about it which i think is kind of interesting in terms of just a like a str- like a, it's almost a non-strategy yeah well, thank you i'm glad you noticed that i guess that's part of my ethos uh mostly just because i've i spent a long time not that long of a time but a fair amount of time quote-unquote writing content for other companies and it just is kind of gross to me now and i don't really like the the cynicism that lies behind it of people thinking that they have to pretend to be something else other than if you want to make a profit and you have a good product you should be able to present to it to yeah. someone the old-fashioned <laughs> way and not have to like connive them into into buying it uh so i definitely try to avoid stuff like that but at the same time it's a fun and i think it's sort of what i'm learning is fun about fashion and the same thing that i find fun about art is that the product is entertaining in and of itself and it's intriguing in and of itself a pin might not be making some sort of grand statement like a you know like a profound painting but um you know, you're scrolling down and you see this image and if it's done well, it's cool. And you, you want to know more about it and you go, Oh, that's actually a thing that I can spend an hour's worth of, you know, whatever of money buying, not even $8. It's like minimum wage. <laughs> yeah. So like what, what, what's like a, like what, what's the week look like in terms of like just how, how you work on this and like, what, what are you spending most of your time on? Um, because right, like you they're made they're made over overseas mm-hmm. um so luckily you don't have to like sit in a factory all day and watch that get made um which is quite nice but what do you how do you spend kind of most of your energy on the project i i definitely spend most of my energy designing organizing designs deciding which i want to do and which i don't want to do looking through other people's designs to make sure that i don't step on any toes accidentally just because there's a lot of you know, and then you have, if you have 50 companies that are all, that all like, you know, they all like black metal and they're all, 
making pins, you're going to like, you know, you don't want to do the same <laughs> goat's head or whatever <laughs> design. <laughs> I had that happen recently with a shirt where I put a Grim Reaper on a shirt and it was like the same Grim Reaper that someone else used. And so I was just like, oh, I guess that shirt's done. Uh, so I spend a lot of time just sort of aesthetically trying to work my way through everything and prepare stuff. And then I spend a lot of time, I mean, not a lot of time, but very frequently through the day I'm posting because it's all has to be all manual on Instagram. So I have to post a lot. And then two days a week, I'll ship everything out. And I just sort of have a little autonomous shipping system in my apartment that I, that I use. And it's, it's pretty simple right now. It works for me as one person, but I'm sure at some point I'll need an assistant or two to help give keep everything in order. Cause I'm not always the most patient. Um, what, what, what's been the hardest part of it? Like from, I guess over the past few months you've been working on it. Um, what, what, what do you find the most challenging about it? I think mostly I find it pretty enjoyable. Um, the challenging parts are definitely the reason I spend, the reason I spend so much time designing and researching is cause that's the most important thing to me. And I, I don't, I don't want to ever run out of material or run out of inspiration for that. And so I just kind of, I'm trying to amass as much of a repertoire of visual knowledge as I can to keep working on stuff. Uh, finding people, finding good people who are good communicators, who know how to design the type of stuff that I want designed is really difficult. I definitely spend a lot of time culling through people's portfolios to try and find people to reach out to and say here, would you like to work together? Yeah. So talk, talk a bit more about, so you, you, you designed a handful, you know, a bunch of them yourself, but you've also been reaching out to, you know, collab to collaborators also who have been designing them and talk a bit about why, why you're doing that and like how, how it's going. Yeah. I started doing that recently. Um, just cause I saw that some other people are doing it. Uh, I live above the Greenpoint tattoo parlor in Brooklyn and all those guys are very talented visual artists. And, um, I love the, tattoo work they do I don't have any tattoos and so I was like you guys want to design a pinner badge for me because I really enjoy the work you do and so it sort of started with them and then I realized that I could kind of just hit people up on Instagram or Tumblr and say I like what you do um I hope we could figure out I can't pay you like a ton of money but I could give you x amount of pieces of product and some money in exchange for using the design or for them making a new design most people are pretty receptive some people don't have time but um, definitely my favorite, all my favorite pieces have come from other artists. Um, cause I don't have any formal design background, so it's nice to, when someone really has their, has their shit together and knows how to design. Totally. No. And it's interesting too, because it feels like when every, the, the pin is such a little thing, but you almost like you can start over every time. Like you, you literally do have this blank canvas and like the brand itself is not rooted in any specific, specific design. And so every time it's just like, all right, we, we can have another go with this. Um, and there's no, like, there's no identity you have to cling on to or anything. Yeah, that's definitely true. I'm finding that an identity is starting to develop where people just tend, people tend to like the more dark, pessimistic stuff <laughs> than they do the, the kind of, uh, flowery, cute stuff, but there's already a huge market for the flowery, cute stuff anyway. And that's not my, that's not like what I'm into. Uh, so I think people sort of realize like if they want that, they can go somewhere else. But if I were to, I, occasionally I, I'll see a design that I like, that's kind of cute and I'll put that out and it, it, they usually do okay. They don't do as good as yeah. the other stuff, but they do okay. 
Interesting. Um, what's the, what, 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 what's the most kind of enjoyable part of this for you or what, what, why, why do you keep doing this besides, I assume besides the money part of it? Yeah. I mean, that's not a huge part of it and that's never been like a huge, a huge motivator for me, but mostly, um, working for myself and having time to really study other people's work and find people who I admire and try to build a little network of artists and whether it's artists or suppliers or just kind of creating my own uh, office <laughs> environment of people that I like, not, not, you know, Which tangible is right now office. just yourself. Right now it's just myself, but, but communicating with people and trying to um, basically trying to put stuff out that pleases the person who made it pleases me and then pleases the audience is definitely fun and having it be so contained and, um, having, having full control over what goes out and making sure that it's something I'm proud of is definitely the most rewarding part. I think, you know, do you, do you think this whole pin thing is a trend? Do you think it's something that's going to stick around or like, where, where does it, where, where do you see it fitting in with not like, you know, kind of where all this stuff is going in general? Um, yeah, I mean, I can't really say I, I personally don't, I don't think it has all the makings of a trend. I think there's a lot because it's been, um, it's been a thing that's been popular for a while in certain subcultures and undercurrents of the fashion world, you know, among bikers and punks and people like that. I feel that it can sort of become more than a trend and can be this just kind of consistent way for people to make whatever they're wearing their own thing, whether it's a jacket or just like putting one on a shirt or lots of people put them on hats and stuff. Um, and so ideally what I hope is that, you know, if these companies keep, keep working on keeping things interesting, it'll evolve to the point where people are always buying pins and patches and sort of just the garments that they put them on change those, those styles might change and the tr- like the visual trends might change, but the actual appeal of pins and patches, I don't think will go away. Interesting. Um, how, how did you end up kind of at, at the price points that you did, um, for, for all the products? Those are just sort of, I just sort of looked at what other people were, people that I like, like inner decay and, um, a few other tough times, press Penelope Gazin. Um, some of, some of their stuff is a little at times more or less than what I do. Um, so I kind of just like looked, you know, took 20 brands that I like and found a middle ground that seemed good and that was profitable enough to, to not make me go under. <laughs> and, uh, it seems to be working word. Um, so, and so like, where, where do you think the business itself, like where, where do you want it to go? And then probably like, where do you think it could go if, if the interest in this in the general trend of it continues? I really admire the, um, I, I keep talking about Supreme. I don't know. Maybe I've just been like really into like re- researching stuff that they've done. The early stuff that people haven't seen that, that much of lately. Uh, and just sort of the model of always having, always having new and kind of weird designs, um, not wholesaling or being stocked in other stores, maintaining, sort of maintaining everything from one central point that's what i that's what i want to do get to the point where i can consistently put out a certain number of designs every month and have them sell out um and then discontinue most of them and maybe cultivate some sort of secondary market where people like to trade and 
find rare pieces that they don't have and all of that stuff is appealing to me because then they become sort of art objects instead of just these disposable fashion objects. Interesting. So, you know, I, I, I saw you've been starting to kind of dabble beyond the pins and the patches a bit. Where, where does that go and in, in what's the interest there in terms of do you, you know, double down on what you're doing or do you, do you continue kind of the, the vision and the aesthetic uh, on a wider scale? Yeah, I think I'm going to keep the vision and the aesthetic uh, just because it's like sort of just my personal taste and that hasn't changed that much over the years. So I don't think that'll change that much in the future. But I definitely want to start putting out shirts and start collaborating with artists on things like shirts and other weird accessories. And then uh, eventually if I develop the, the acumen for it, you know, more fancy stuff. What what are fancy things? I don't know, just like jackets and knitwear and stuff like that. Nothing, nothing, uh, not fancy in like garish sense, but just fancy in sort of a higher price point. Um, stuff that I would want to wear, basically, as someone who's not super into high fashion. But um, I see a lot of brands that do that do it really well, and they sort of start with soft goods and they expand to more greater heights i guess (laughs) yeah it it seems like a really interesting medium to kind of just define whatever that aesthetic or brand is in a pretty like nimble lean cheap way um and then go from there if it works and if it doesn't you just kind of stay where it is yeah totally that's that's what i'm doing right now and i think it's i I think it's it's more encouraging for us for a young person who's starting a small business to to keep the risk low initially so that they can kind of reap the rewards without having to feel like they're, they're drowning in work and drowning in, in debt and stuff. And then once they hit a certain point where they're comfortable with what they're doing, then, you know, just kind of slowly build it up. I like the mom and pop shop mentality. I don't, I don't have any investors or anything. So it's, it's all very simple. It's like, I can only make new stuff if I sell my old stuff. So (laughs) does this, does this work? Like we, is there, would you ever have, I know you're not, you know, it's early, but like, would you ever have interest in like opening up a physical spot for it? Or do you think this exists in its best yeah. form online? No, totally. I think, I mean, the, one of my goals eventually is like, I kind of just envision a, a gal like a small art gallery sized space, like kind of a streetwear store sized space with just walls and walls of tiled pins and patches. And, uh, you know, some stuff that's, that's, in stock some stuff that's been discontinued um but just treating them like little like little artworks you know and if someone wants to buy it they can buy it for for not much of a investment and whether you i I mean i have i have canvases that i've ironed you know four dozen patches on that i just kind of put on my wall that are cool like other people's patches you can kind of like make a little collage (laughs) it's nice it's like very visually appealing especially um there's a lot of consistency where most most of them are circular and um, they just look nice. Where, where, where does your interest or I guess pre like, you know, experience in the art world kind of meet, meet this part of it. Cause you talked before about not having them just be kind of, you know, this thing you put on, but more of an object. Yeah. Um, well, I've been writing this column for the vices art, like popular art vertical, the creators project and sort of describing pins and patches as the the cheapest art object you can buy basically hmm. that's, you know, an, that's an interesting way to think about they're it. they're like a, it's like an addition they're super low quantity usually they're made by individuals designed by individuals who aren't like big companies even the big companies are small companies by like right. um, you know american standards 
And uh, I think just the just the fact that they're limited quantity and that they're designed by hand usually and the way some, some of them are just presented as trinkets but when they're presented as you know artist designed objects they're cool and i've noticed a few artists notably Taube Auerbach, who's was like a very influential i don't know what you'd call her post-digital painter um has started has started making paint pins and uh no patches but pins in sort of the tradition of 80 the 80s design pins that exist i there's just something about it that's uh that's um sort of mellow and like not as severe as a as a, a real quote-unquote artwork which sort of just like a, a nice little accent Totally. Yeah. It's, yeah. It just seems like it's this like low risk thing for everyone involved yeah. from you making it to the people wearing it. It's just like, it's just a pin. Yeah. It's really harmless. And so you can kind of do whatever you want with it. It's nice. There's so much of the, there's so much heaviness and pretension in the art world. And, um, there's none of that that I've seen really with this. Some people try to bring it into it and it's like, no, don't do that, please. <laughs> what, what's the, uh, what's the worst part of it? Um, I mean, Maybe maybe the post office. I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> but even that's not that bad. I mean, I'm I'm finding like a lot of joy and um humility in doing it and I don't really have any complaints about it. It's beats working for someone else. So <laughs> just standing in line at the I'm, post office. I'm grateful every day for it. It's not like <laughs> it's it's not like I'm there in line like just I'm, thinking about how grateful you are to yeah. working for someone else. It's not like I'm like getting rich or anything, but I I really, really enjoy being able to to do everything myself. So the post office sometimes feels like the one, like the one penance I have to pay in order to have this, like in order to be able to keep building my own business is like, Oh God, I got to go to the post office again. Just go suffer with all these other yeah, insufferable people. Yeah, exactly. It's like self-flagellation. Wow. What's the worst <laughs> experience you've had at the post office? Um, one time there were three people yelling at the same time, which doesn't sound like that many, <laughs> but the line was 30 people long. And three people were really upset. I don't know what about, but um, I don't really have to wait in line anymore because I this is like where I plug stamps.com if I had a stamps.com <laughs> thing, but I don't. So this is just a shame. This is just a selfless referral that that's like the greatest website ever. And it's probably saved more human suffering than half the startups in the world of just helping people not have to wait in line at the post office. All right. Well, this is all awesome. Um, Thank you so much for coming. And then you should, uh, you should come, we should check back in a few months or whatever when this thing's even bigger and we'll, we'll check in and see where everything is. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. I, uh, enjoyed talking to you about it. I don't talk about it much, so it's nice to, I didn't even really think about some of the stuff that I was saying until I, until you asked me questions. So I appreciate it. Awesome. I did my job then. Thanks so much, Charlie. <laughs> thanks, Richie. <laughs>